Parsons ahead of the play. A breakaway for the rookie. Goes! A rocket off the stick of Pedersen. Wow. What a set of mitts by Pedersen. Here's Pedersen scores! Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. We're excited to do a special feature on the 2020 NHL Entry Draft that has finally, finally arrived. We are almost there. It's been several months of us kind of prepping or over-prepping for the draft to show up. Uh, of course, this is Sean with Malcolm and Sam, and we are also joined by Dauber Prospects, Tony Ferrari and Cam Robinson who is also with Elite Prospects as well. How's everybody doing today? Not bad. I'm doing all right. Hanging out, watch, talking hockey in the afternoon. So, good day. Yeah, only we're a working week to, for a Thursday. Pretty much only a week to the draft. Always an exciting time getting into the offseason. Rumors are crazy. Uh, and, you know, what, what else could you expect? But, to, you know, rumors that the Canucks are going to try to take on a guy who owed $8.25 million for the next seven years with our current cap problem. So yeah, let, let chaos reign, right? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens, especially with all the time crunches here. We've got amidst everything that's happening, the buyout window, uh, the free agency right around the corner and the draft just kind of sandwiched right in the middle of it all. Uh, kind of start us off here. Obviously the Canucks don't have a first round pick as we record right now and doesn't look likely that they would get back into the first round. They did have the 20th overall pick that, of course, is now owned by New Jersey. Who do you think the Canucks could have or would have taken at 20th overall? Oh, looking into the crystal ball, hey? Yeah. I mean, there's no wrong answer here, so it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, there's only <laughs> right answers. Proven wrong. Yeah. Yes, I will only be proven right. And it's, it's Helga Granz is the correct answer at number 20 the six foot two right shot defenseman out of Sweden. They love their Swedes. They need some right shot kids, kids a player. I like him better than most. It would, it would have been Helgi Granz and, and obviously they blew it by getting JT Miller. What a waste. <laughs> <laughs> Starting it off with some heat. I love it. Yeah. I mean, God, that JT Miller doesn't even score any goals. Like Jacob Perot definitely would have been able to do if he was on the team. Uh, this kid's a stud. He was in Sarnia this year in the OHL. His shot's ridiculous. I think maybe outside of Alexander Holtz, he has the best shot in the draft. Um, he, he's just one of my favorite players. He improved so much over the year. Um, I, I think if they would have got a player like Perot to add to their forward core, just make him even more dynamic up front. Now, do you see New Jersey taking either of those guys at that spot, like realistically? I mean, I think it's plausible for sure, but New Jersey's a fun one because they have three first rounders. And so we were just talking about it on the, on the last podcast there with Sam too, is that they're going to get wet and wild. And I can see them going, going crazy either at 18 or at 20 with the, their two second, second and third first. Um, so, you know, they might, they might get nuts and take a kid that most, most people have way down their board that they see a really high upside on, or they might take someone that has a really low upside that some people don't like, like uh, we were talking about Tyler Clevin jumping up into that spot or something, which would be uh, which would be a little silly, but no, I, you know, maybe, maybe they'll be smart and make a good choice, but I could see them getting a little weird at, at pick 20. I could see, you know, at 20, I could see them taking a chance on Noel Gundler if he falls there. 
because he's a kid that's kind of fallen because of some some inconsistency in his game and there, there were some attitude issues that were reported in his U17 year but there hasn't really been anything now so I, I think with this kid falling because he has a ton of talent he could be a top 10 12 talent in the draft but if he falls like if you have three first round picks why not take a chance on this kid so there's been a lot of talk this is a deep draft no this is a shallow draft and, you know, I think we've named, uh, you know, three, four very good players there that seem like they would be, you know, quite attractive to a lot of teams. So, you know, now that we are right before the moment or, you know, there's not going to be a lot of other evaluations going on, what would your final kind of analysis be? Where is the kind of talent drop off, uh, you know, that you're definitely taking a chance that the guy is a, you know, maybe prospect two, three years down the line? So for me, it's a weird one because I was in the camp that it's a fairly deep draft, but I've kind of altered my, my thinking on that. And I think it's a deep draft for guys with high upside. So I think there's a really good chance that there's going to be teams that really get a good player, a steal in the second, third round. And there could be more of them this year than most years because there's a lot of high upside. A guy like Tyler Tulio is going to go in the second round. A guy like Alexander Passion, if he breaks, he could be a fourth, fifth round pick because of how small he is. But if he breaks right, that's a ton of skill that could be really high end scorer in the NHL. But so I think it's a deep draft for upside. But there is a drop-off kind of after 10, uh, after 12. You, you really start to get into that wide range. And, and what I've kind of said to people is from about 20 to 60, maybe even 80, you've got a ton of different names on, on all these NHL teams lists that I think there's, like I said, a ton of upside. But, yeah, like you're not going to get a, a surefire NHL player in the second round by any means. Like This isn't that kind of draft. Well, good thing we're picking at 82, eh? Yeah, perfect spot. Yeah. Cam, what, I mean, what are your thoughts? 82. Yeah, I mean, for Vancouver, picking at 82 is that you want to see them just go just go balls out, right? Just take some cuts. I'm thinking that they probably won't. Maybe they do in round five, six, seven or something like that. But they're going to want to try to grab one NHL out of this draft. So I could see them going limited upside, safe floor type of guy that, you know, maybe even an overager, you know, go that route again where they're like, oh, hey, he's 20. So we can slide him into the, into the AHL sooner and have this kind of safety net that like, you know, even though we traded away our top two picks, we still got an NHL out of the draft. I would not go with that mandate. Um, I'm with Tony though, too, is that there's a clear divide at, you know, for me, it's at 11 um, after 11. And then it's, you know, at 30, 40 range after that, it's, it's, you're throwing darts. And so every year we hear, you know, GMs being like, we can't believe he was there when we got him in the late third. We had him, you know, high second or in a first round position. I think we're going to hear that more and more this year because of the disparity of the list, because it is, it's, it's how you view talent and every organization is going to have different, different things on their agenda that they want to achieve when they come to the draft. And so there's going to be opportunities to mine for talent. And that's where you, you start to see the, the separation between the, the, the good and the elite, the smart, smart people who can see that talent and they can project what it's going to be like. They're going to have some opportunities to pull some serious talent later in, in the draft um, versus the guys that maybe don't have that wide lens. And they're maybe a little narrow focused into, we want a big defenseman or we want a skilled center. Um, they're going to limit themselves a little bit in that regard. So there was that rumor that the Canucks were even looking at a, a goalie with that first pick in the third round. And forgive me, I, I was scrolling around trying to find his name, but I couldn't. Uh, ha- has there been continued chatter about that? Because again, it seems odd that you'd not pick in the first two rounds and then your first player off the board would be a goalie. That would surprise me. That would surprise me for sure. Um, but, you know, never say never. Uh, there are a, a handful of goalies that are going to go 
we always see it happen on day two around whatever pick 35 pick 45 it's you know Filipovich and I always joke whenever the first one goes we always lock eyes at the draft like goalie run here we go um and then inevitably three or four go in the next 10 or 15 picks so you know if Vancouver wants a goalie um I would say go ahead and take one in the sixth round you know forget about Joel Blomquist obviously forget about Askarov um and then you know you're just going to be swinging on guys Uh, why waste your top pick on a goaltender when you can probably get a similar projected one in the sixth or seventh round. Yeah. So it's kind of where I'm thinking too. If, if you're going to try to take a goalie with that top pick, it, it, do you really want to bet on a guy like Dylan Garand or would you rather bet on a guy like Anton Johansson who may, they both have their flaws, but Anton Johansson's a defenseman. And even though he's a really high risk defenseman that could never play in the NHL at that stage, you're getting a goalie that has even less risk of, or even less of a surefire upside. So I, I just don't think of a goalie at that spot would be the best thing. What are some other names that you're hearing, you know, again, could potentially be linked to Vancouver with that coveted 87th second pick? There's been no, no names. No chatter. No, okay. no, I haven't heard anything about, and, and not surprisingly, you rarely do you hear chatter about what a team's going to do in the third round. Um, at that point, you let the draft come to you because, you know, they're going to have their board. Um, it's going to look different this year without Judd around and, and, and with John having his, his fingerprints all over it, I'm, I'm imagine it's going to have some different looks to it, but you know, you're going to wait and at pick 82 or 83 or wherever the hell it is, is that they might be sitting there and be like, great our 44th guy is sitting here. So we're going to go ahead and take him. So you, you really can't, you can't have too many plans at that point. And if you do, I think you, you risk painting yourself into a corner. Yeah. Pretty hard behind the very first few picks to, to kind of walk in with a guy in mind. So for this draft, I mean, everybody's kind of talked about obviously Lafreniere number one with a bullet on, I would say 99.9%. I don't know if it's with a bullet with this crowd. Yeah, I mean that would be that'd be who'd interesting. Be, I'd like be, to hear that. Who'd be dumb enough to have someone else at number one? <laughs> <laughs> I have seen it otherwise, and I think yeah, it would be. I'd be here for a byfield discussion for number one. Uh, byfield number two, Raymond number three. Is that kind of a lock? One, two, three. In some order, yep. Yeah, two, three yeah. could get mixed. Yeah, that's kind of my opinion too, but. With so much of the the Stutzel chatter, I don't know if he he squeaks into that range. But to me, yeah, those two those three guys are right at the top for me. I've got it on pretty good authority that if Stutzel is there at three, he's going three. Mm-hmm. Is that he's he's going really? to Ottawa? Yeah, it's either Byfield or, or Stutzel going at three. It it all depends on what LA is doing, and uh, I feel pretty confident that LA is going to go Byfield at two though. Yeah. That's fair. Cause I, I've seen a lot of reports talking about how Ottawa is talking to Raymond more than any other team is talking to Raymond. So I I've just immediately assumed Raymond is number three. Oh, but... he could be five though. Right. They got the two first. That's true too. So yeah. they're, they're, I think they're probably looking at trying to go Stutzler Raymond, but you know, there is a lot of talk about Jake Sanderson going at five too. So that, uh, you know, they, they might, might want to spread it out forward and deep. Do you think Stutzel would go like would get past Detroit at four though? No, I I, I don't see a world where Stutzel goes past Detroit. Um, I I think, but I mean it's Steve Eiserman, so who knows? Like he he drafted more at Cider kind of out of the, out of the <laughs> left field last year, so um, I'd assume he'd probably just go with Stutzel. But there's a chance maybe he gets to five if, if they end up with some crazy combination of Raymond and Stutzel. Like I'd be on board for that. That's a ton of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I one of the ideas that I know, like I was kicking around a few months ago, was 
I just immediately assume, and maybe this is just baseless and of, a, of an assumption, that Stussel would go for to Detroit if he was available there. And so Ottawa could kind of play a little bit of poker with Detroit, take Raymond, and then take Holtz five and walk away with both Swedes. Is that too high for Holtz to go at, at like at fifth? I don't think so. I mean, the last time I released, I had him four. So, so I obviously feel like he would be, he'd be fine there. And, ob- and you know, that'd be a lot of fun if they went Raymond and Holtz and obviously just for the Brooklyn nine, nine references anyways, um, but <laughs> exactly. just, just built right in. Uh, but no, I, I think that that's a possibility, but I, I do get the sense that they're, <clears throat> they're going to look to fill out their organization with those two picks. And they might go all galaxy brain on it and really overthink it. And, you know, I'm all for taking Jake Sanderson at five. I think that that's fine. People that consider him outside the top 10 in this draft, I think are going to look foolish in a few years. Uh, but at the same time, you don't leave Lucas Raymond on the board to take Jake Sanderson. And I like Jake Sanderson a lot. I think he has, you know, number one D upside. Uh, but Raymond is a, is a pretty special player in his own regard. And so, you know, if you, if you look to do that, if you, again, right, if you want to, we want a winger or a center. We want a center and we want a D man. You paint yourself into a corner and that's when things start to get a little hairy. So you don't, you just go best player available. So you, you stick to your list. And if that ends up being Raymond and Holtz, then I think that would be a ton of fun. If it ends up Stutzlin and Raymond or however it works, if you got Sanderson four, take him at five and whatever, and just move along, but don't do it specifically because of positions. Yeah. And I think I, I agree with Sam or with Cam there. Um, I think Holtz, we have him at six on the Dauber board. We just released uh, yesterday. Um, I think that's a perfect spot for him. Four, five, six, anywhere in that range, because this kid's an elite goal scorer. So it, with Detroit kind of sitting there, they, they, maybe they take Stutzler if he falls to them. But there, there's been a few reports. I know Pronman said today in his uh, mock draft that he did that the two names he's been hearing tied to, to Detroit are Cole Perfetti and Yaroslav Askarov. And, and I'm on board with taking Yaroslav Askarov there just for the chaos factor. It's probably higher than even a guy like me who loves him would go, would go with him. But like maybe Detroit does something crazy like that. You don't really know. Well, everyone knew it was going to be you who mentioned his name first, but I wanted to talk about him because there's also talk that he could potentially go five to Ottawa. And I think, you know, undoubtedly he is the most interesting name uh, and will be the biggest kind of wild card. Cause as you said, you can see him going all the way to four. Realistically, I think he's probably more, you know, 10, 11, 12, where you see that kind of drop off, people go, okay, it's not the elite defenseman or the elite forward. So now we're willing to take the gamble on the elite goalie. Um, But, you know, tell me why it's not a foolish idea to be the first team since Montreal to take a goalie that high. Well, first of all, I do think it's foolish. I would not take him in the top five, (laughs) even as the biggest, like I love that's clear. That's, that's my boy. But I, I think with him, the spot I see him going is, like he said, in that 8, 9, 10, 11 range. Because I think he's going to be like the 8th or ninth guy on a lot of teams' boards. And they're going to go, okay, if, if this guy falls to us, we're going to take him. But if not, Askarov's our backup plan. And, and I think Askarov kind of fits in, in all those teams. There. None of them really have a, a really elite, elite goalie outside of Winnipeg, who, who has the, the reigning Vesna winner, obviously. But the, the spot I like him is, is at 11 with Nashville. I, I love that pick. Um, I, I think with Pekka Rene kind of on his way out, UC Saros is a smaller guy. He hasn't really established himself as a true starter. Maybe he's a 1B guy. But I think the reason you take Askarov at 11, 10 in that range is because I don't think he's as far away from the NHL as 99% of goalies that are drafted. I, I think realistically with the way he's playing at the KHL level already, 
he could be in the NHL within two years. I think his KHL contract runs two more years. If, if he's your backup in two years and he's doing a, a 1A, 1B situation with UC Saros and letting him kind of work into that, it wouldn't be the worst situation for him. And I, I think this kid has the talent to do it. He's a stud. Like, I, I don't even know what else to say about him. Like, the way he plays the game, you, you look at him and you go, okay, that's not a junior goaltender. You, like, you don't need to be a good goalie analyst to kind of know that because you look at him and you go, okay, that looks like Harry Price. That looks like the, the elite goalies in the NHL today. That doesn't look like Yo Bloomfist or, or Dylan Grand or any of these other junior goalies that, that we're watching. It's just clearly on another level with him. I am down for Yaro Askarov to get taken at number five. I would love that. I would really, I would love it. I think that would be so much fun for everybody. The reason I probably wouldn't do it <laughs> is because the goaltending carousel is so easy to, to plug and play a, a guy off of waivers, off of a trade where you have to dish a third and a fourth and you end up getting yourself a quality starter in a year or two. The thing is, and, and like Tony said, is that he's not far away from being an impactful player on an NHL roster. So if you take him early, you better have that plan in place. It's like, we're going to get this kid into our crease by 2022 and have him making meaningful saves on his entry level deal. Because now you're cooking with fire. You know, you, you, you look at Vasilevsky, a similar sort of thing, right? His, it didn't take him too long to make the NHL. And all of a sudden he's, he's stopping pucks at 950 K that's value, right? You don't have to pay him his 7 million bucks just yet. Uh, and then you, you arguably is that his first couple of years, the numbers aren't going to be truly elite. So then you just lock him up long-term at a good price. And now if, if everything falls into place that way, then that's a lot of fun. But personally, I think, you know, I think Nashville at 11, that'd be cool. I want him to get to Carolina at 13 because yeah. you throw Yarrow Askarov with that group coming up at the Hurricanes, like get out of town. The East is going to be not too happy about it. So uh, that would be kind of my dream scenario is where he lands. It would be 13 to Carolina. But yeah, anywhere chaos factor, like let's get him up there. Let's have him go at two. Let's see LA get him, you know, like let's really get wet and wild. <laughs> hey, obviously I'd be very down for LA to take him over Byfield. That would work out in Vancouver's favor for sure. You know, again, obviously, if it's a team that reaches for him, I hope it's out west. And, of course, you know, again, it also stands to reason you wouldn't take him 13th overall and then sign a UFA goalie to a 10-year, or, you know, an 8-year, $10 million contract. The Bobrovsky treatment, baby. That was had to be the most weird sequence of events that's ever occurred. Yeah, just Florida doing Florida things, right? Yeah. So the other chaos scenario while we're on the subject is, you know, Jack Eichel apparently not too thrilled uh, in Buffalo and for good reason. Uh, Do you think that there's any scenario that that we get a, you know, Jack Eichel for first overall trade? I want it so bad just for like, just again, the fun of it. It'd just be the best thing to write. But yeah, yeah, like I I don't see it because I think New York wants that, that younger player. They're, They're trying to get that group together, coming up together. Um, Lafreniere is going to be cost kind of cost certainty for a while, and, and Jack Eichel comes with that big price tag, but he's worth it. Like he's a good, good player. I think he's one of the most underrated elite players in the NHL. Be, like people just don't appreciate his game, and he's a stud. So I I wouldn't be shocked if he does get traded eventually. I just don't think it's this summer. Who says no though, Tony? Who says no in that deal? Uh, Buffalo maybe. Yeah, right. I know. Buffalo. It's tough to say because, like, in my opinion, Jack Eichel is and will be a better player than Lafreniere. 
but the cost certainty thing is a huge impact, right? You're, you're subbing in 900 K for nine mil on that cap. Yeah. So it, it, it's an interesting thought. Uh, but yeah, especially when the Rangers have as much dead cap space as they do in buyouts. Uh-huh. doesn't make sense. Yeah. Not, not right now. Anyways, it, it yeah. would be tough for them to work, but they also have, I think like 22 million in cap space going into next year still. And of course it's only one year that they've got the 12 million and then it drops back down to, you know, two or three that they're having dead. Uh, so I, I, you know, obviously for a chaos situation, I think everyone is in favor for it. And I think as Cam kind of points out, you know, when it's that deal that you're, I don't know, would it be Buffalo who says no, or would it be, you know, uh, the Rangers? That's typically when you have a fair deal. Yeah, I was going back and forth. I'm glad that you asked the question because I have been debating it myself for the last couple of days about who would say no in that scenario. And every day it seems to change. I'm like, well, I mean, Buffalo would never do that because Eichel's the franchise and Lafreniere. I mean, you don't really know what you got there is to that level. Is he the guy that you will hang your franchise's hat on? Well, I don't know. Not to the same degree as Eichel. But then you bring up the cost certainty, the age, uh, like the cap hit that Eichel carries. There's, there's a lot Eichel that goes into this. In it, yeah, it, or, we may not. We may be a full, you know, another season into Buffalo. Him going to Buffalo, like, listen, trade me, and tr- you know, trade me to a few select teams, and you know, the return is certainly not going to be Lafreniere. The the Canuck fan in me doesn't want any good things for the Rangers. Um, <laughs> so the idea of Panarin and Eichel being together gives Crazy. me anxiety. <laughs> but uh, the pure chaos fan in me, I, I love the idea. I'm, I'm with you guys there. And it's happening out <laughs> east, so it doesn't really affect True. us until the Stanley Cup final. So it's yeah. Tony's problem. I'd be I'd be fine with it because then it means I he's in the other division. I don't have to see him in Buffalo all the time. He's he's always good against the Leafs because him and Matthews love getting up against each other and going. So I'd be fine with it. Let him move out to the Met- Metropolitan Division. Well, I mean, there's another big rumor that's been floated around for a while out west here, and it's one that I mean we've kind of gone to war for the Canucks Twitter as anyways about Brock Besser being on the block and whether there is anybody that would be realistically a good trade option for Brock Besser, any scenario where the Canucks would actually come out uh, where that is advantageous for them to do. Is there a scenario where if you're the Canucks that you would entertain trading Brock Besser and where and who would you be looking for in return? Yeah, there, there's there's definitely some some things that you could do and move Brock and come out ahead, uh, whether or not they're realistic or you know the other team would be interested in doing so is is a whole nother a whole nother question. So you know, uh, Harm talked about it. You know, Aaron Ekblad, right? Mm-hmm. You you take a swing on a player like Aaron Ekblad, even at his hit, and you know he's he's he didn't turn out to be the player that Florida probably expected him to be, but he's still a very very good top pairing right shot defenseman who's young you make that deal right and it wouldn't be just Besser you'd be adding to that too you know you you know are you gonna get John Klingberg out of Dallas do they want to move up Heskinen you know sort of thing you get maybe you make that deal you know he's he's a very good player too a little bit older maybe you look at something like that I don't know but I don't see a scenario where they move Besser and then get the appropriate value that they're looking for 
Walker. So you don't move him for Josh Manson. You know, you don't move him for Brandon Carlo. You don't do those type of moves. You keep him. You don't move him for Matt Dumba. Uh, you, you keep him in house. And the only thing is, is that they have literally no trade chips worth anything other than Besser, right? You're not going to, unless you convince another team that Vertanen's like Kasperi Kapanen and you can peel a first off, like they really have no trade assets. Um, so it's, yeah, yeah. Congratulations, Tony. Oh, um, that just <laughs> makes me so happy every time. Right? Like, what was that? Maybe Rutherford wants to do was. it again, right? Like maybe he wants to move another first. But it's 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 Besser or nothing, and so for my money, or you're you're looking at moving Pod Coles and Hoglander 2021 unprotected first, and that's not the type of moves you want to be making. But it's the type of moves that a management group who maybe doesn't think they're going to be around in three years if they don't make that move, so they're just like you know fuck the future, let's roll. Um, I can see them doing that, but again, you're just not getting the value back that you should be. So. So yeah. I'll, I'll throw one other name and it's crazy and it's why it's not been brought up. But how about the idea of moving out Bo Horvat and then slotting JT Miller back into a full-time center role? I don't like that because I like Bo Horvat. But... And I love Bo Horvat too, but do you prefer to have Besser on your team or Horvat? See, my issue with the whole Vancouver trying to trade either of those guys thing is, is, is the same issue that I have a lot of the times when the, the Leafs talk about trading Nylander is mm-hmm. I don't want to trade one of these guys for cap reasons. Stop trying to trade your good players for cap reasons. Eat shit. Trade, trade some picks with, with a guy like Antoine Roussel or a guy like Louis Erickson. I would rather lose out on, oh, no, I have to sweeten uh, two second-round picks. Sweet. Here you go. Here's Louis Erickson, Detroit. Bye. See you later. But I'd rather trade those second round picks than a guy like Brock Besser or a guy like Bo Horvat or a guy like William Nylander in Toronto. It just, to me, it doesn't make sense. Like don't trade your good players to, to get rid of cap problems because you have legit cap problems on the roster. We are the same person and that was an effective quiz. <laughs> You're welcome, Sam. <laughs> this is I'm, all music to my ears. I, I loved that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm 100% with you. I just don't think that that move is a cap dump. That's uh, address a massive hole on our right-hand left wing, or sorry, right-hand defense, you know, hockey trade. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, and I'm the same way with the, with the Leafs, with Nylander, is, is if you're going to make that trade, I'm fine with you trading William Nylander. I'm fine with the Canucks trading either Bo Horvat or Brock Besser, but you have to get value. You can't make that move for cap purposes. You have to make that move for a hockey trade. And, and that's the only situation I'm, you know, interested in as well. Uh, but again, I, I have had that thought. Would I prefer to have Brock Besser on my team long-term, younger, you know, goal scoring, or would I rather have Horvat center? But again, I think, you know, there is that argument that you could potentially slide JT Miller into a second line center role and he'd be pretty effective. Horvat's so, got more trade value. He would have and, more value. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mm. But you're, you're not, you're not, you know, I think I maybe said it on your guys' podcast a few months ago is that he's the guy to move if you really want to extract value because a young perceived two-way center on a good contract on a great contract you know he would have serious value on the market yeah uh, but you know uh, do we want do we want pd and jt split up you know right now they don't even have a third line center so i, I don't really see them moving out horvat in that situation just realistically as they're trying to build their team well on this free agent market looks pretty thin barring of course a flood of rfas not being qualified Barakala. Yeah, or like an Athanasiu, maybe, if he doesn't get qualified. I mean, he's not a center, of, is he? Uh, he plays all three, but okay. mostly wing. Does Hala um, have a knee still? 
Yeah, that's a good question too. <laughs> you know, check on that. Athanasius yeah. slow down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like that. That's always been his problem. Is he's, he's a lot like Kasperi Kapanen in that sense. Is uh, you can go 100 miles an hour all day long, but you end up in the corner a lot when you do that, and you don't use that speed to get out of there. So, I don't know. I, I don't see him as a center. I, I I'd avoid that contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So kind of going, sticking with the, the theme here for the Canucks, if you're in Jim Benning's shoes and you have one move to make this off season, what is your priority move? Yikes. Oh. Get rid of, get rid of some cap space. That's it. Move out cap space. You dug yourself, start digging up. You know? I said, dig up. <laughs> and are, are you, are you buying out or are you? Oh yeah, man. I'm going up. I'm going to Aqua and I'm saying like, get ready, buddy. You green lit these signings. Now you're going to pay them out of pocket and they're going to be playing in the American league or they're going to be fully bought out or you're going to have to eat salary on trades or we're going to have to sacrifice a 2021 second to move Louie, even though you paid him the lion's share of his salary. Like, and that's just how it is. And you got to make that happen because it's a flat cap world out there nobody is going to be taking anything for free. You know, Detroit's smart enough to just be like, sure, we'll take your free second and then buy out Mark Stahl. We got the space to do it, but there's only a handful of teams that are going to be able to do that. And the other 27 are going to be trying to sell them their garbage. And so you got to make that happen however you can. And so it's, if it's a Brandon Sutter buyout, great. If it's a Antoine Roussel buyout, cool. You know, let's bury Beagle. Just make, make some room because if they manage their cap better, you know, there's these rumors that OEL wants to come to Vancouver. It's like, yeah, if you had managed your cap, great. Take a swing on OEL. You know, the kind of the, the mystique around him being a terrible player now is completely overblown. The issue is that he's leaving his prime. And we see that statistically at 8 million bucks a year, but he's still an impactful player that you want on your roster. You just don't want him on your roster when it puts you 20% over the cap. Yeah. So like, there's one thing that I've, I've been really intrigued by. And it's obviously the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Stanley Cup champions, they've got a lot of work to do this offseason. Uh, one of the many pieces that could be attractive, especially to a team like the Canucks, is Eric Cernak. Uh, people kind of floating around the idea that this is an option to for an offer sheet, in which we don't see a lot of offer sheets out there, but realistically, it would only really cost you a second how quickly do you pull the trigger on an offer sheet move like that for a guy like Eric Cernak? If I'm Vancouver, I don't do it because I would do it if I was Toronto instead. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I saw you shaking your head, I'm like, no, we, we thought of that first. Yeah, no, like, honestly, I think that's a really good player. I think he, offer sheets don't happen. So it's not, it's probably not going to happen because all these GMs respect each other too much, but like, just do it. This, this is a, the perfect player to do it because you're not sacrificing a, a two first-round picks or three first-round picks. And, and like you said, Tampa's in that situation this year. And, I mean, we say this every year, it seems, where they're going to have to go, you know what, I have to choose this player over this player. Or if, if this team puts me in a, a tight position, this is the, the year you can take advantage of it, especially with the flat cap. Man, if nobody fucking offersheeted Anthony Sorelli, nobody's doing it for Eric Saranac. It's just, yeah. like you said, there's just too much respect around the league. So much respect that Tampa can be wedged into a corner and still pull first round picks to get out of cap hell. It's just, I don't know what's going on. If it's just a Tampa Bay thing or it's just across the board. I, I'm with you. I'd be out there burning bridges left, right, and center. Like I'll offer you all too. your guys. 
<laughs> then come on over. And like, you know, back in the day, remember when Vancouver offer sheeted Bacchus? And then, so they just turned around and threw an offer sheet at Bernier. It's like, that's great. They should have let yeah. him have Bernier and be like, this yeah. is exactly <laughs> what I planned. You know, like, <laughs> let's get yeah. into a war over here. Clogged up your cap. Right. Well, and the thing for the Canucks is there's nobody to offer sheet right now, right? Like there's nobody that they can retaliatory do that with. And then next year when Patterson and Hughes are up, how are they supposed to, you know, how are they supposed to realistically offer them something that the Canucks can't just easily match? The Canucks are going to prioritize those. So yeah. it's not really an issue there. If I'm, I'm with you, I would be burning bridges like crazy. Like I'd be going to Tampa and saying, look, I'm going to offer sheet one or all three of your, your guys, Sergachev, Sorelli, and Cernak, whichever ones you match, great. Whichever ones you don't, I'm taking. And, and just running with whatever you get out of that. Yeah. Why not? And, like, and the flats cap has put a lot of people in a desperate situation where, you know, normally you would like to respect someone. And if you have a little bit more cap room, it's, you know, easier to do that. But I think there are going to be some teams that go, you know, fuck it. We have no other option other than to take a shot at you guys. And it's, you know, it's the, the net gain is worth more uh, by doing it. So I think, I, you know, obviously there's a, you know, we haven't seen a lot of offer sheets, but I think that, you know, with a flat cap, we actually may see more because there's going to be teams closer up against the cap, not able to match them and other teams, you know, with space desperate enough to do something. Yeah. And I think Sean touched on the strategy there. Like go, go to Tampa and offer sheet two guys, offer sheet three guys, make them be like, put them in a situation where they have to choose between their guys. Because if you're able to do that, man, I would have done this against Toronto a couple years ago. If I was some other team for sure, I'd have gone to Toronto and be like, I just offer you to have your first line. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> exactly. Choose one and, and let me take the other. <laughs> like, the I, uh, potential it. Islanders, Matthew, or sorry, offer sheet on uh, Marner would have been just the sweetest scenario. Oh man, I, I was rooting for it at one point. I, I got so fed up with that entire situation. I was like, you know what? Fine, let him just go. Maybe someone will offer sheet him. Who cares? If it happened, I would have cried. One hundred percent. Just the chaos, and you wanted wanted it. Yeah, like the hockey fan in me wanted it. The leaf sucker in me did not. No. Yeah. One that I'm I'm hearing like while we're talking about offer sheets here is that Columbus might be in the market to offer sheet somebody like Matt Barzell. And Islanders being pretty tight on the cap, not really a lot to work with there. I think they've got a little over $8 million in cap space, and they've got several holes in their roster to fill, most notably, of course, Barzell. How quick, like, if you're Columbus and you're desperately seeking goal scoring, especially an elite play driver like Barzell, like what's stopping you from doing that? Wait, are, are you telling me that GM of the year and all-time great general manager <laughs> Lou Lamorello put them in a corner by signing <laughs> duds? The best GM in the league? Yeah. Oh, crazy. <laughs> uh, what year no. is it? When did he win that? How did he win that again? Is it 95 again? I don't understand it. Right? I, well, I Wyatt was Johnson away. won him that award with that sweet deal he got. The wording of the award makes them so stupid. It's, you know... I think Jay Fresh explained it to us perfectly. It doesn't matter how many assets you trade away, futures and things like that. It only matters how much did you improve your team this year. So, you know, paying that astronomical price for Pajot at the deadline doesn't matter what they traded out. They added Pajot to the team, right? So it's, it's the NHL awards, you know, obviously we got wrapped up in them with, you know, Pedersen actually winning it for the, you know, the first time ever uh, for the Canucks, you know, save Burry. Uh, but 
you know, they're just stupid. You know, to me, they're, they're just the Oscars now that, you know, is a symbolic gesture, but really ultimately meaningless. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like the GM of the award is awarded every year. It's called the Stanley Cup because yeah. that's the award <laughs> you're going for when you're building a team. Huh. Like, don't name a GM of the year. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Just give it to whoever wins the cup. Especially the early years. I think the winner of the GM of the year was, you know, fired within two years. Yeah. Like, you know, Gillis won it, obviously, and was fired with two, within two. I think there were several early winners of it who did not last very long. It's like being on the Madden cover, right? Just a death Yeah, sentence. the Madden curse. The yeah. curse, yeah. 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 Well, I think my favorite thing with the GM of the year award this year was uh, both Benning and Brisois, both sides of the Miller trade being in the top six <laughs> like everybody loved both sides so much that they just figured that they were in the top tier of the the league now uh, just it just kind of added to just how ridiculous this award was so another question that we have coming in uh written in from kevin elder is uh given how much variety there is in the draft rankings do you think there will be more teams trading up and down uh or will there be a lot of peaks uh, picks that people reach on uh given that variance I think, like I said, it, it opens up pretty big after 15, 20. And, and I, I think teams are just going to let the boards come to them because like, I've talked to different scouts who have uh, one guy in the first round, like late first round, and another scout from a different team has him in the fourth. So I think teams are going to let them kind of move up to kind of do what they do and, and let the list come to them. But, I mean, if a guy that's really falling down the list and, and you have him ranked in your top 15 and, and you're at pick 35 or something – you trade up and grab that guy, but I don't think it's going to be any more or less than most years. Yeah, that's how I feel too. It's you guys are going to have such a wide range that they're just going to wait and see. And then, yeah, if they're two picks ahead and they have some intel that you know this team's going to go grab them, then yeah, sure, let's hop up three or four spots and get our guy. But yeah, I expect it'll be similar to most years. There's there's a few guys, and we've touched on one of them being Noel Gunler that's kind of jumping up and down in different people's rankings and, and looks like he'll slide. Uh, another guy for me that I, I consider to be very similar is Hendrix Lapierre. Uh, what do you guys think of his game? Like, do you, do you expect that he should climb again or that somebody's going to pick him up? Is he a potential steal candidate? I mean, for me, I've been a little lukewarm on Lapierre for, you know, even ahead of the concussion issues. Uh, obviously he had the great Holinka that, you know, people who watched him at the link and then never watched him again, still consider him a top five talented player. Um, that's not me. So he's uh, a fairly soft pass first center who can get pushed to the outside a lot. I don't like that in junior players. You know, I like my guys getting in there and mucking it up and being able to play in the middle and play in traffic. Um, and then you throw three concussions in the span of three minutes. Uh, that's, that's a big worry for me. Obviously I think it's great that he's, he appears healthy in the preseason here. You know, him and Dawson Mercer are probably going to put up a ton of points this season, which will be a lot of fun. Um, I think he's uh, one of these guys that we're going to look at a team like the Devils, like the Rangers, multiple first round picks. You've already locked down your, your, your stud early. Now we take a swing on a kid with upside because, you know, he does have a lot of skill. He has great vision. He has good hands. Um, he's a bit of a project in the sense of where you're going to fit him in your lineup down the road. But yeah, I think that somewhere in that 20 to 30 range is fine for him. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he was there on day two. And I wouldn't be that surprised if some team got crazy and took him at like 12 or 13. But at the same time, that would not be me. Yeah, that's kind of the same situation I'm in with Hendricks Lapierre is 
before the Halinka, I was kind of, he, he was a guy that was kind of on the periphery of my first round, even like I wasn't super high on him. And then the Halinka made me like, look at him and okay, like maybe there's more here. And, and then it was just never there in the QMJHL. And he did deal with the injuries and in between the injuries, there, there were times where he just looked like he wasn't like healthy on the ice almost like there'd be times where he, like he was hunched over and it wasn't like hunched over tired. It was hunched over. Like you could tell he was laboring a bit. So like, he's a guy that I think, similar with a, a guy like maybe uh, Dylan Holloway, whereas you're hoping he's the guy you've seen last year. You're hoping he's the guy you've seen before because this year you didn't really get a full view of, of what he is because I've talked to other scouts and I've talked to other people who are like, I just don't think he's the player he was this year. So I'd take the chance on him. And, and for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm a risk taker. I'm an Astrov fan. Like, let's go top five. But like, oh man, <laughs> Hendricks lap here with the injuries, with the, the inconsistencies and, and me just generally not being a huge fan of his game. Yeah. I'd probably wait on him. He's in my second round personally, but yeah. Askarov is just going to be synonymous with taking a risk from now on. Well, you guys all think he's a risk. And I think he's a guarantee. Let's go. Yeah. I think he's a locked in number one. Like he's going to be a top 10 NHL starter, maybe like Vesna level. So he's, he's legit. If you take him a five and uh, that's what you're expecting, you're probably going to get that too. So it's uh, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It's just that whether you want to pay a premium for your goaltending position is that's a philosophical thing. Fair point. So you have also talked uh, a couple times about some of the smaller players. Uh, Rossi is another one, obviously that comes to mind. Uh, but I think there's a lot of them kind of talented throughout. And we just saw, you know, Braden point dominate, uh, and, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, single-handedly, not single-handedly, but, you know, be a huge part of that Stanley Cup win. Uh, do you think we're still going to see that same bias? Because we have this copycat league. But so do you still think that there's going to be those, you know, Braden Point undersized guys that slide in this draft or are GMs going to wisen up? No, they never learn. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my thing is like, I think there's going to be some guys that, force people's hands because this draft has a lot of smaller high-end skill forwards so it's, it's going to force their hands so we might get like a little look at like oh maybe they're learning but no they're just taking the guy because it would be a, an outrageous reach to to look for the next big guy or something so um they're, they're never going to learn but I, I think this year you might see a little bit of the, the high-end guys go a little bit higher than normal yeah, when you're choosing between 5'11 guy and 5'11 guy, you don't really have a whole lot of options. <laughs> yeah. We got another one from KC here wondering about the, any recent news on Justin Barron. Uh, being out indefinitely, do you still think uh, he projects uh, as a top pick or do you let him slide completely now? Did he ever know. project as a top pick? Well, Sean, do you want to say anything here? Uh, I mean, these guys obviously are far superior to me. Uh, I <laughs> had him you. on my board um, at 24, um, but that's pretty high. Like I, I, I reached for him on that one. But I did think that he was at least considered a first rounder for a little while anyways. Uh, I was just messing with you. Ahead and okay. after, after, <laughs> after his D minus one, he was, he was pegged to be a first rounder and, and that's fair. Uh, I like my players to be able to think on the ice. Um, not so much just be skate real fast, shoot real hard, you know, make the plays that way. So I am not a Justin Barron fan. I think I've got him in the late fifties and that's because of the physical tools you can project to have an NHL player if he can stay healthy, which is now another red flag. So um, yeah, for me, he's, 
he's one of these guys who has the tools and lacks the belt. And if he can't stay healthy, then that's uh, he can't even wear pants. So I don't know what the hell we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Jake for Tannen type. Hey, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> a light. Uh, that's actually. Yeah, yeah. Say, that's not that bad of a comparison in terms of like the he's a guy that's got tools and, and teams are going to look at the tools and go, what can we do with this? Because like, he's a good skater and he's he's got a good shot and, and whatnot. But yeah, the, the issue is that I felt like once like he was good on that loaded team last year, two years ago now with the, the Mooseheads. And then this year when some of the talent left, it seemed like he was kind of told like, hey, now you have to make the play. You can't rely on someone else to do it. And he wasn't able to take that step really. So um he was a guy that i was like more than willing when we were doing our, our like little meeting at dauber prospect I was, like more than willing to keep letting just slide down the list i i think i ended up t- stopping the slide at 65 and being like all right guys i feel like now we kind of have to at least consider him in this range but yeah he's not a guy i'd be j- really jumping at uh drafting so the next one we have is from uh tuck tuck he uh is wondering where you think hendrix lapierre is going to be drafted and that he outplayed Byfield in the under-18s and has high-end talent, but his injuries are an issue. Apparently, according to his agent, they're not concussion but vertebrae issues. Uh, someone to risk, uh, take a risk on the top 15, top 20, or do you think he slips to the second round? Second round. Yeah, I'll guess in, I'll guess in the 20s there. And P.S., he didn't outplay Quentin Byfield at the U18s. So that's cool, <laughs> Tuck Tuck. That's cool. It's yeah. cool. cool, man. Yeah. Points aren't everything. And is it the injury issues that make him slide for you guys? Like, as I mentioned, he's a periphery type of player and, and obviously the concussion issues. And I'm always wary when I'm getting intel from the player's agent that makes things seem better than they are. You know, I, I've gotten text messages from agents who are telling me that their player has magically learned how to skate over the pandemic six months. It's like, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, man. His mechanics are great. He's like five times faster. I'm like, oh, and you have no no business saying anything that wouldn't be true here, right? You have no stake in this. Uh, so, Nothing yeah, for you agents, to benefit. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Right. When the agent's saying that, oh, it's actually not concussions. It's uh, and, you know, uh, granted, I've had concussions and sometimes they are neck issues, not concussions. And so that would be great for him if that was the case. If it's not traumatic brain injuries, that's going to bode well for him. But even just taking that out of the equation, I still think he's a guy that's in the second half of the first round or on day two. Vertebrae yeah. issues don't sound great. Yeah. And that's <laughs> what I was going to say is like, you're like, oh, like we go from here with concussions to here with neck issues. It's not like it's like, oh, no, he just sprained his ankle or something. Like a neck issue is still a pretty serious thing. So it, it still raises concerns. And, and like I said, he just wasn't a guy I really, really would ride home for even even before the Halinka or anything. So another one we have uh, here from our friend Andy, friend of the show, um, is Perfetti worth a top five pick? Can he play center at the next level? Uh, you could justify it. I think, I think there, there's a pretty decent group there after about four or five where you can justify taking them any in that range, but he wouldn't be the guy I choose in that range. And, and that's maybe just a personal preference for me. I, I like my guys to play with a, a bit more of, of a high pace and a bit more like dynamism on their skates. And I think Perfetti is a good player. Like, and I think he's going to be an NHL or I, I don't have any doubts about that, but I, I look at a guy like I, I said it the other day when I was talking to somebody is, is Perfetti is the guy that I'm like, okay, he's the sixth best prospect. And then I compare him to Alexander Holtz and I'm like, Oh, maybe he's the fourth, seventh best prospect. And I'm like, well, I like Jamie Drysdale better than him. So, and well, if I'm going to move Jamie Drysdale ahead of him, then I got to move Jake Sanderson ahead of him. Cause I think those two are, are neck and neck. And then you look at the board and you're like, Oh wow, look at that. The sixth best prospect is now ninth or 10th. So I, I think it's just mostly a personal preference thing for me. You can justify it if it's in the top five, but I, I probably wouldn't myself. 
Yeah, I think I think you like Tony said, you could absolutely justify it. For me, he's the he's got, you know, check out the big brain on Brad over there. He's the smartest kid in the draft. Um, he has a rocket of a shot. And a lot of people forgot about that this year because he added that just elite playmaking element to his game. So for me, the way he sees the game, the way he can use his skills to the best of his ability, yeah, the skating isn't you know, breakaway speed, the, the quickness there could be improved, but I think he's so smart that he should be able to play the middle of the ice. And, you know, if you want to take him at four or five for, for my money, it's, it's basically after pick two, there's seven, eight guys and you could have them in any order. And I think it's justifiable. And so if you want to take Perfetti in the top five, but that's, that's cool beams with me. We've got one here as well from your colleague, Yoki uh, question for cam. Uh, and I'm, and uh, I'm gonna. The name this. is Yuso Mayanpan. I love him because he's okay. amazing. <laughs> I was like, I'm just sitting here staring at the yeah. name, trying to pronounce <laughs> me, it. Yeah. I was waiting for it to come up, and yeah. uh, I'll, I'll just let me let me address Yogi for a second. Right. He needs to calm down with his Yuso Mayanpan hate. Uh, no, he's a, he's this little guy, and and I was pretty high on him, admittedly, like probably way too high on him earlier in the year when he was listed at five eight, and then. Of course, Yogi just decides to break my heart and he sends me a message and he goes, hey, did you see what uh, Central Scouting listed him at? And I'm like, oh, what was that? He goes, 5'5". Five, five. And I'm like, ah, you can't draft a guy who's 5'5". Five, five. That's too small. So I, I still love the guy. If, if I'm a team, I throw a seventh rounder at him because he's just a ton of fun on the ice. And he's a, he's a little bit battler. He's not the worst guy along the boards or anything. So he, he takes advantage of being smaller and slipping through spaces. But... Yoki's just a hater. That's he, Yoki hates <laughs> finished prospects. I think that's just what it is. He hates <laughs> his own kind. About it. Hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you so was cute too, right? With his jersey hanging around his ankles and stuff out there. Like it's just fun to watch. Like, you just, it's <laughs> adorable to watch a peewee player in junior hockey, right? It's like Sean Doogie. That was my boy. Love me some Doogie Hauser time, right? Five hockey. foot four, whatever. Yeah, get him out there during the intermission and let him fly. Nice. Oh, uh, now all I'm picturing is like the Timbits out there and Yuzo Mayanpa just dominating them, but looking the exact same size. Uh, this kid's going to be good in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Once he fills into his frame. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> hey, on that note, folks, I got to go peace out and pick up my kids. So uh, been fun chatting. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Thanks, Thanks for joining us as Thanks well, for Tony. Joining us, Cam.